Today, uh, we're looking at a topic that's not a popular topic, but an important one, and one that's very relevant for us today. The issue of persecution. Uh, what, what is the cost for being a Christian? Is there a cost for being a Christian? And the answer is yes, there is. And in our world, as Jesus um, came, the world that Jesus came to, with sin in the world, uh, it's going to cost you more than just a tithe check to be a Christian. It's going to cost you unpopularity and sometimes just downright denial of services, denial of privileges, all kinds of things in life, and sometimes the ultimate sacrifice, denial of life itself. I would remind you that this is not a new thing that, uh, that Christians are experiencing in the 21st century, and, but had never experienced before. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his day, made a note uh, in his letter to Timothy, uh, an overseer of house churches in the area of Ephesus, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the apostle says this, All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But persecutions did not start in Paul's day. You may recall, in fact, that uh, while Paul did suffer great persecutions, and in fact, um, the tradition not recorded in Scripture is that he was actually beheaded uh, under the governmental uh, authority of Nero in approximately AD 65 or so. Uh, while he suffered the ultimate price himself, many others throughout the history of the Old Testament as well suffered persecution. And as a retired and sometimes tired Old Testament prof, um, I like to make sure that we examine what God said in the Old Testament in, uh, in this Sunday about persecution. The longest book in the Bible is the book of Jeremiah. Uh, though it doesn't have the greatest number of chapters, the book of Psalms has 150, uh, this book does have the most words. Uh, it's also the most autobiographical. It tells, Jeremiah tells more stories about himself than any other prophet, any other uh, first-person writer in the Old Testament. And uh, Jeremiah chapter 20 is one of these that gives us an insight into just some of the persecutions that this man of God had to face in his day. What day was that? Well, he doesn't give us an exact time, exact year in which it took place. It was over 600 years before the time of Christ. It, uh, the events that we're going to look at in this chapter are ones that um, happened in a nation that was dedicated to the Lord God. This was supposed to be a godly country and, in fact, the most godly nation on earth in its day. A lot of people like to think of the United States as the beacon of righteousness in the world, the ultimate Christian nation that people can look to for what uh, a Christian nation ought to be. And that's uh, an aspirational goal. Uh, I would like to think that that's still something that we're trying to be but I don't see a lot of evidence that our government is trying to specifically be a good example of what Christian nations, Christian nations should be. But in Jeremiah's day, the land of Judah, what was left of the nation of Israel, 
had set, was set apart to be the shining city on the hill, the ultimate example of what godly living lived out as a nation, national policy, was all about. It was to be carried out uh, emanating from the, center, the central city of that country, which was Jerusalem. And within Jerusalem, it was supposed to be uh, coming specifically out of the temple. The Lord God himself chose, his, uh, chose to have his name reside in that temple. It was, the, it was supposed to be the holiest place on earth, the place where the godliest living by the godliest people was to take place. Jeremiah was a priest who, because of his birth, was not allowed to serve as an active priest. He was born into the priesthood but did not actually get to practice it because bad choices of one of his uh, forebears more than a couple centuries before his day. In fact, about, nine, about 300 years before his day. But uh, at this time, in Jeremiah's day, in Jerusalem, in the temple, we see in chapter 20 some events related to the topic of persecution. Let's re I'm going to read a few of these verses, and then we'll go from there. Pasher the priest, son of Immer, the chief official in the temple of the Lord, the guy who wore the fanciest clothes, the guy who got to wear the clothes of the high priest, the guy who had the greatest authority and should have been the best example of godliness in all the land, that guy, the chief official in the temple of the Lord, heard the prophet Jeremiah prophesying these things. So Posher had the prophet Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks at the upper Benjamin gate. What words was he prophesying? Well, in the previous chapter, Jeremiah had uh, been directed by the Lord God to go buy a big old clay pot to gather together some of the top officials in the capital city of Jerusalem and have them walk out of the town with him. While he was in their presence, just outside of Jerusalem, he lifted up that large clay pot and threw it to the ground, shattering it. That was a symbol, a dramatic symbol of God's judgment that was coming upon the nation of Israel and soon would arrive from the Babylonians, uh, from the Iraqis of that day. And uh, they would be led by Nebuchadnezzar and they would, in fact, shatter that nation. That was not a popular message because the reason for that judgment was Israel's sin. And, um, and so the high priest, the one who's in charge of righteousness in the land, did not want uh, to be criticized for failing in his job to help the nation serve the Lord. So when Jeremiah came into apparently the temple area or somewhere in the Jerusalem area, he was arrested. Posher, the high priest, directed that Jeremiah be snatched from the streets. Posher had the prophet Jeremiah beaten and put him in the stocks at the upper Benjamin gate in the Lord's temple. Apparently they had in that town, uh, in that capital city, a place where certain categories of criminals could be humiliated. There was, a lar there was apparently a post driven into the ground with a chain on it, and criminals of certain categories 
would be chained to that post and just left there out in the sun for a period of time. They could not leave that area. They couldn't go get water or food. They couldn't tend to any personal matters. It was a very humiliating experience for them. They would not be left there to die, but they would be left there to be humiliated and made fun of. Jeremiah experienced that at the hand of the high priest in his day. The next day, it says in verse 3 of the 20th chapter, when Pasha released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, essentially this, I've got a new prophecy, I've got a new word from God, and here's what it is, high priest. The Lord does not call you Pasha, but Magor Misaviv, to use the Hebrew phrase, which doesn't mean anything to us, but if you translate it, it means terror from every side, terror all around you. You're going to be surrounded by terror. And in fact, you're going to be the one who brings terror upon God, upon God's people, and upon the name of God because of your disobedience. And so Jeremiah had a word of criticism for this individual. When it was all said and done, uh, Jeremiah had a talk with God. He was now released. He was on his own recognizance. He was uh, probably walking back to his little unwalled village a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And um, as he was walking along or wherever he was, he had a prayer to, uh, to the Lord beginning in verse 7. And he says this, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. Jeremiah experienced what perhaps you've experienced if you've uh, been in a situation where you had to take a stand for Christian values and no one else around you supported you in that. You tried to stand where the Bible clearly taught Christians are supposed to stand. And you didn't back down and you let your opinion be known. And no one else agreed with you in that setting. There are certain TV shows uh, uh, where you'll have individuals that every now and then will express an opinion. The audience and the hosts on that show will have a very different and in fact decidedly non-Christian opinion on things. And that audience and those hosts try to make fun and ridicule. Uh, the individual who tries to take what we would consider to be a biblical stance on things. But Jeremiah had to do that, and it was hard. And he put up with it, but he had to deal with it on a very personal level with God. God, you're the one, ultimately, who seized me and made me a laughingstock. If, if it wasn't for you, God... I could have been a very popular guy. I could, have, I could have had a much easier life. And you're messing with me, God. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that we would, that's always been true in Christianity, and in fact, in Judaism as well as in Christianity, and before there was the name Judaism in uh, Yahwism, as it was known in the Old Testament, the worship of the one true God of the universe, 
Uh, it was mentioned, in fact, in some of the confessions that we looked at today and in, even in some of the songs. To say yes to God is to say no to a lot of other stuff. Uh, you will, in fact, be a fish swimming upstream if you are going to live for God. The rest of the world can go with the current of the Mississippi River uh, or whatever, that uh, polluted river that uh, is, such, is so beautiful but is also pretty polluted. We live in a culture that is uh, even bigger and has a stronger current than the Mississippi River, but it's a current of moral degradation. It's a current that says anything goes as long as you feel good and aren't actually killing somebody, you can go ahead and do it and we'll let you do it. That's where the current of American culture is going today. But God said, I'm calling you to a life of self-denial. I'm calling you to take up your cross and to follow me. And if you follow Jesus, you can't go with the current. You're going to have to turn around and in many cases go 180 degrees against that current. If you've ever been in a boat on the Mississippi that's uh, lost its power, I hope that's never happened to you. Uh, not a good thing. Uh, you try to get, to, I would guess, this never happened to me, but you try to get to, to safety without ruining the boat. Uh, but in many cases, we see the tragic truth of people who once tried to live for God, once tried to fight the current, and it was just too hard. So the, they shut their moral motor off and they just go with the current of American culture today. Jeremiah wanted to do that. It hurt when he said uh, the words of judgment that he uh, did to the politicians just before he shattered that clay jar. He felt uh, the sting of the 39 lashes, which is probably what was done to him by uh, a trained priest who was, uh, whose job it was to punish criminals. He felt those 39 lashes and then he was tied while still bleeding to that uh, post. It was hard. And he knew that that would never have happened if he wasn't living for God. He talked to God about it. And, uh, and yet he goes on to say there in chapter 20 beginning in uh, verse 8, Whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. God, you gave me a message to speak to people, and it's not a culturally popular message, but it's your message. And I have faithfully proclaimed it. But when I do, when I say your words, people don't clap and they don't say amen they in fact make fun of me. They disgrace me and they deride me. So verse nine, he says, I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart. The truth is God's word is a fire. Fire can do several different things. Fire uh, can destroy but fire can also cleanse and purify. Uh, fire can make uh, safe things that uh, would not be safe. If they were, uh, you, you never, 
I, I never pick a uh, thorn out of my skin before I get it w with a needle before I put that needle in a fire just to make sure it doesn't have any germs on it, just to make sure it's clean. Maybe you do the same sort of thing. Before a surgeon performs any sort of surgery, he's got to have clean tools. Dentists have to do the same thing, and one of the ways that they can clean these things up is with heat. Fire can purify. Fire is what makes things safe, but fire also hurts. It, uh, it, it can create a lot of pain if you get too close to it. Jeremiah had the fire of God's truth, the fire of God's word in his, in his life. God had given him words that needed to be spoken. They were words that would never be popular. They were words that would never win him a good citizenship award or a popularity contest. But when he tried to hold them in and not share them when God said to speak them, it really was a fire in his, in his heart, to use the term that's used in the Hebrew there, within his soul. It burned. It was very painful. The truth is, every Christian has heard from God truths. We have them in the form of the Bible, for one thing. And that's the centerpiece of the, the Word of God. If you ever get a message from God that you uh, say came to you supernaturally and it doesn't agree with the Bible, it's not a word from God. This is the heart of what God had to say, and it, you judge everything according to the written Word of God. But sometimes God does give uh, us messages that we need to share with, with people who do not agree with the Christian way. If and when God gives you a word that you need to talk to, uh, to somebody about, whether it be a politician, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a co-worker, you don't need to be overly preachy, but you, you should never compromise the word of God. And you know when you tell a sinner that sin is bad and they shouldn't do it, whatever the sin may be, you're going to make them angry. And if you try to hold it in, Jeremiah, you're, you may experience what Jeremiah felt, and that is you're going to feel fire in your bones. You're going to feel fire in your heart. If you've got something that needs to be said, even though you know it's not going to be popular, find a discreet but honest way to say it. Do not hold it in. Don't be uglier than you need to be, but do speak the truth. The Bible says speak the truth in love. And the, the most loving thing you can do is without anger, without using unnecessarily critical words, share where God is coming from. Share the values of God when they conflict with what's going on around you in your culture. It, it will not make you more popular but it will keep that fire from burning in your heart and it may save a life because fire, God's fire, has a way of cleansing when it is used his way. Jeremiah faced that kind of thing, but Jeremiah was not alone. You will recall that uh, Jesus also uh, told us in his day with his apostles that there would be things that would happen to his people as well. The Apostle found that out later, uh, the Apostle Paul. But notice some of the things that are found in another reading that, is, that thousands of churches are using around the world today from Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was at the height of his public ministry. He was, he was publicly select the 12 apostles that would follow him. 
That happens in the first four verses of chapter 10. But he also called them, it says that he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These individuals were supernaturally empowered by Jesus. And then it says in verse 5, Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Jesus sent them out to be proclaimers of the truth, of the word of God. Jeremiah, some 600 years before this, had that same word of God. And he felt it as fire in his bones when he did not share it. Jesus told the 12 apostles to proclaim the word of God in their day within their social context as well. And so there in, uh, in verse 7, he says, As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. A, a central part of what Jesus teaches is that there are two kingdoms in the universe. There's, uh, especially on planet Earth in human civilization, there's politics. There's the world of human government. And that's an important part, and the Bible says that human government is a gift of God to be used very carefully for the benefit of the people under that government. But the Bible also says that there's a far more important government, a far more important nation, a far more important kingdom than just uh, the, the governments of the planet Earth in human society. And that is the kingdom of heaven. What is, the, what is one key part of what we need to share with other people? Well, Jesus said it right here. The kingdom of heaven has come. You may like this worldly system, and you may be benefiting from it. My wife and I get retirement checks in the form of Social Security checks every month. I like that. Now, that's a gift to me uh, for, for hard work, but also a government that thought ahead and was trying to care for its citizens. But the Bible says that no matter what benefits you may experience from, the, from earthly governments, there's an even more important nation that you need to pay attention to and make sure you're a citizen of, and that's the kingdom of heaven. Um, the values of these two countries, God's country and the United States of America or planet Earth, human government in general, are two separate entities. There are times when they're going to overlap where what government wants is also what God wants. But there are times when you have to make a choice between following the rules of God's kingdom and following the rules of the earthly kingdom. Uh, on those occasions, when that happens, you're going to have to make a choice. I, my, my wife and I have done a fair amount of missions work up in Canada over the years. We work with a number of people who have dual citizenships. They have two passports, the United States passport and a Canadian passport. Some have more than that, an Indian passport, a Russian passport, in addition to a Canadian passport, and maybe even a U.S. passport. Uh, there are rare occasions where you have to make a choice between following, following the rules of the Canadian government or the U.S. government, and uh, they're not exactly the same. You have, to, you have to make a choice. You can't do both. As citizens of God's kingdom, and all of us in this room, I pray, are, and we're raising our children to be that as well. We've dedicated them to the Lord to do that. There will be times 
when you too are going to have to face a choice. Which passport are you going to claim for yours? Are you going to deny that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and just go along with whatever it is that the government may tell you you've got to do? Or are you going to say, you know what? I've got to make a choice. I can't do both. So I'm going with my divine, my heavenly passport. I'm going to declare myself a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, whatever the cost may be. The Bible does not tell us the end of the 12 apostles, well, except for Judas. Uh, there was a replacement for him. But of, of the 12 apostles, the one who replaced Judas, tradition says that every one of them died in service to God. Most of them, in the first few years after Jesus ascended to heaven, the apostle John made it to old age, but was exiled to uh, very harsh conditions on an island in uh, the Mediterranean. The fact is, um, we too, like the Apostle Paul, like the 12 apostles, have declared ourselves to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The day may come, and it's already hit many American citizens, when even in Rensselaer, Missouri, in Hannibal, Missouri, in the state of Missouri, we will also have to make some very hard choices. May God give us, uh, may God give us the wisdom, may God give us the strength to declare ourselves citizens of the kingdom of heaven and let that fire, that cleansing fire of God in the form of the word of God be the word that's on our lips. May God use his word for his kingdom's purposes.